I might throw us off kilter right away, but I'll tell you my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I know there's a lot of debate about whether that's even a Christmas movie. And so if that doesn't fit your criteria, then 1B is Elf. Okay. Another Two great good, choices, another I think. Good choice. yeah. Very another good, good choice. Yeah. There really is only saying. one wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you didn't say that we were gonna be all good what, so there, what's the wrong answer what's the wrong answer there is there's only one wrong answer in greg's universe so but he is referring to a christmas story he thinks that how, that is the wrong answer how can that be it's just such a boring it's such just such a boring movie i was joking with him earlier this week i tried to watch it again this weekend yeah, I turned it on. I was like, "All right, let's just let's give this a go." I haven't watched it in a few years, and 15 minutes in, my <laughs> nine-year-old looks at me. She's like, "Dad, this movie's boring. Can we watch something else?" I'm like, "Yes, we can, honey. Yes, That's we can. Like, let's kid. just turn All it right. off." Proud dad moment right there for you, huh? Okay. That's <laughs> the views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 3 of the C41A Podcast. I'm Greg Taylor, and joining me are... I'm Christopher, and my favorite breakfast cereal is Fruity Pebbles. And I'm Manoj, and my favorite breakfast cereal is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I'm Greg Taylor, and I second the Cinnamon Toast Crunch vote. And joining us today on the first episode of the new season, we have Colonel Steve Fox coming to us from DHHQ in Washington, D.C., I'm Steve Fox. My favorite breakfast cereal is Golden Grams. I, I really feel like we've got like three very similar choices here. I think this is a first that we've had such similar they selections. They are very similar. Get to know you answer. <laughs> in, and in of course, young, I'm the outlier. <laughs> yeah. When I had to pay less attention to sugar, Cinnamon Toast Crunch would have probably been my, my choice. But, you know, you, you get older and instead of, you know, 80 grams of sugar, Golden Grams probably only has 40 <laughs> per spoonful. So that's that's where I pretty soon, you know, I'm I turn 50 in 2024, right? So then it'll be, you know, muesli or some something <laughs> switch to something <laughs> completely different. Raisin bran. Great, great nuts. Yeah. You know, great grape nuts. Grape nuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they're they're all like a little dessert bowl. You're not making a, a giant bowl of any yeah. of these cereals. This is like a, a topping almost on ice cream. Right. And I, and I tell you, I love breakfast and cereals. Just it, it's all of it. I don't want anything for breakfast. That's really good for me. I know eggs can be good, but it's even if it's something healthy, I'm still going to find a way to make it sweet. You know, if it's a pancake or, or, or a waffle, there's going to be so much syrup on it that it's going to end up being bad for me anyway. And I know Chris is anticipating somebody, maybe me attacking his choice, whatever it may be, but I like a good fruity pebble. So <laughs> you'll, you'll find no argument from me, my friend. All right, we started off on such a positive tone. So let's keep that going and talk a little bit about or to our guest here. Again, Steve Fox working at DHA and 
really excited to have you here with us today. And we're just going to do a little bit of a mentorship and life advice from somebody who's seen some things and done some things. Mm -hmm. And so looking forward to to this Q&A. Could we start off with just a little bit of background about how you got started and, and you know, kind of where you are at this point in your in sure. your career, your life? Yeah, absolutely. So I am currently at DHHU. Let me say this. I, I'm really excited to be on, too. Uh, I know we, we connected probably a couple months ago, and we're talking about this. And so thank you for, for having me on. This is this is a great opportunity for me. Very selfishly, it it really charges up my battery to to be able to be on with with you all and 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 share this stuff. So uh, I'm I'm grateful for for the opportunity to, to chat with you all and your broader audience. So thanks. So yeah, so I'm Steve Fox. Recently, just I've been on Colonel in October. That was really exciting. I'll say that because it was really something I never never anticipated right so if i go back work backwards up to now i came in a little bit later in life even though i was an air force brat i never had any intention to join the air force so I was in college for two years and, and i dropped out and did sales i was actually selling cell phones and and radios and tvs at circuit city in in florida and then a family member started talking about the air force and so i was 24 when i decided to enlist with the anticipation of finishing college and then getting out and moving on up so that's what i did so i joined in 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 1998 and i was at meps and uh, that was when i found out i was colorblind so my list of jobs shrunk i didn't know i was you know you don't want you don't want me in eod that's for sure so but I ended up being a 4AO, and so health health service management, and a lot of family and healthcare. So I was I was drawn to that. I knew it was probably fairly stable. So that was the first thing that I did. Went to tech school in, in San Antonio. Again, all with the intention of sort of getting doing four years and getting out. Uh, the moment I point to as really sort of a huge pivotal point, I was in records working with a good friend, Joe and Domenico, who also ended up becoming a medical service corps officer. And he said, hey, you should come do Honor Guard. And I said, okay, well, that sounds cool. You're a couple of years in at that point. And so I went to do base Honor Guard. I was off at Air Force Base. And I, I love telling this because it's really a life-changing thing. Because when I started to do Honor Guard, it was finally a chance to connect with what it meant to be part of the legacy of the Air Force, right? So instead of looking ahead at the future, it forced me to, you know, be in the present and also be, you know, look at the past because we'd post the colors and then I'd sit in the back of an auditorium and listen to someone at a retirement talk about what it meant to serve for 20 or 25 or 30 years. Or we'd fire the rifles or fold the flag and listen to the eulogy. And maybe they were part of the Berlin airlift or they were on Omaha beach or, you know, in Vietnam or whatever. And so that really finally I finally stopped looking outside of what I was going to do and started looking at the Air Force and what I could do to be a part of it. And, you know, and, and that is when I started to kind of focus on on the medical service corps. So I went to Shepherd to be an instructor, and that was where I was even more tuned into the MSCs because they had the schoolhouse there when it's still at Wichita Falls. That and the fact that my supervisor was going through the process as well is really where the light started to shine on the medical service corps. So ended up applying in 2002 and, and, and became an MSC in 03. And, you know, and so I'm a firm believer that there's no one path, but I'll just talk you through kind of my 
winding path as an MSC, right? So I'm pretty ready for just about anything that the core can throw at me. And then I get a call while I'm getting ready to go off to COT at the time. I think it was Colonel Landon said, hey, you're, we're going to have you do logistics internship, which is, of course, is the only thing that FOIOs <laughs> aren't really connected to from the medical service core standpoint. Um, but it was an awesome opportunity. So I was a logistics intern, and then I went to a logistics flight at Tyndall, and then I did readiness there. Before leaving there was my first deployment. I uh, left there, went to the Army Baylor program, did my year internship in Vegas, first few months in a, in a civilian hospital, and then the, at the military hospital at Nellis. Did a few things at Nellis, concluding with group practice management. Left there to do an education with industry in Pennsylvania. And then from there to San Antonio, Wilford Hall to be the senior GPM. And then I actually got a great opportunity to run family health. So I ran the family health clinic at Wilford Hall. And from there, I popped over to AFMO for a one-year staff job before the first of my two squadron commands. And then after squadron command, Air War College, after Air War College, here to Defense Health Headquarters. So that is my long and winding journey. And then last month, I guess, I, I found out that I am getting to do sort of a bucket list opportunity. I'm, I'm going to be the group commander Flash MTF director at Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. So that's the professional path that's led me here today to the C41A podcast. First off, congratulations on the group command. That's uh, that's a big that's a big and exciting opportunity. So I'm sure you're going to do fantastic. I loved hearing the you know about your your origin story in your Air Force career, and I'm I'm wondering because. I had feelings coming prior enlisted into the medical service corps. Well, you, you mentioned you ended up getting selected for a logistics internship. What were you hoping to do when you were commissioning or when you got selected? What, what role were you hoping to get into or functional area? I don't think I had a strong preference. It was one of those things, right? It's just, you know, it leads to something I think I have as a lesson layers. You know, don't overestimate where you are, right? I just thought, okay, I'm. I'm prepped and ready for just about anything, but really I wasn't because come to find out, you know, I was going to do something that I didn't have any experience in. And so it was just, I didn't have a, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go to it or anything like that. The only one that I really remember over the years, really wanting to get to do was GPM. And so I finagled my way into that at the end of my sort of Baylor residency. But beyond that, I've just enjoyed the fact that you could do, an array of things, right? I actually like that because, you know, 4As did that, right? 4As were, have, you got 32 different jobs, records or in resources or in, in the system shop or whatever. So I enjoyed that aspect of it and was open to that. I just, it just caught me, yeah, you know, <laughs> coming off guard when it was what, what the 4A1s, you know, do for a living. So I love that I did enlisted first, right? It, I'm so happy to have had the opportunity. I wasn't happy at the time, right? Studying the PFE, right? That wasn't, you know, as enjoyable. Uh, it's probably in hindsight a lot more fun, but at least I can speak to and, you know, commiserate and connect with airmen who are studying for to take the test for staff sergeant and have been to ALS and, you know, those kinds of things. So hopefully those shared experiences drive the kind of connection that I'm you know, generally seeking as, as a leader and, Again, it's 
obviously dated because it was decades ago, but hopefully there's at least enough there to to draw on to connect with with our airmen. Well, as the only other prior enlisted person who well, at least sorry, Chris is prior enlisted, but he was in a different service that only counted for like half time. So uh, <laughs> there's a caveat, there's an asterisk next to that. But I, I, I'm with you, I think, from a decision making standpoint, at least in my early years, I didn't feel like that my decision making process was was different as a flight leader or element leader. But I felt like there were maybe there was a little bit of credit that I wasn't asking for things that were just resume stuffers or, you know, something for, a, you know, a 1206 package to make myself look good. I felt like I had like street cred, I guess, maybe a little bit with the team that knowing the kind of the stuff that sometimes enlisted folks go through that I wasn't asking just because I wanted to prop myself up that it was because there were legit reasons for needing people to do un- unpleasant things. Sure. I, I, if I pulled the thread a little, if I think I can sort of sense where you're going, I, I agree. Like, and it's not to, I'm not going to point out, well, oh, well, hey, I've done a GI party. So I don't, you know, I'm not worried about asking you, but at least again, there's that, there's that shared experience. And I recognize what I'm asking. If I'm saying we're going to go do a FOD walk at 5 a.m., I've done that throughout my career or, you know, just again, but I'm, not to point out, but just to recognize that it is part of this whole thing that we're in and we're in it together and not to really perpetuate any sense that we as leaders are above that, right? So I'm anti that. And so hopefully that comes about in, like you said, when you're asking folks to do stuff, there's something behind it more than just because I want you to do it. And there's you know no directive that's not based in something that's connected to the mission. So that spawned a question in my head I wanted to ask. So I know this is probably not part of the list, but I just, I just thought of it. I, I like your point you brought up that, you know, having that prior enlisted knowledge and experience. But then like for me, I came in as a uh, off the street direct commission and really didn't know what I was doing at first. I didn't know anything military. I had no family in the military. So is there advice you would give to a someone coming off the street like a uh, direct commission because i think i felt like I, I to this day sometimes i feel like i have a little bit of a disadvantage i mean i've been in for eight and a half almost nine years now and i feel like i have enough experience to know what's going on and the importance of different things but the people who come in prior enlisted as lieutenants i feel like they still have a little bit of an edge and that just might be my own psyche and thinking because they have that enlisted knowledge that gives them a little bit of a like what greg said like street cred and that respect i guess for lack of a better word that some of the enlisted might take them a little bit more seriously. So is there anything you could tell like the folks that came in direct a session? Like, is there anything they could work on or look into or try to improve on that would help them get to some kind of commensurate level? It's a good question. And I would say there's, there's a couple things and it's not even, I don't know if it's a prove on because what you said jogs something that I, that I had anticipated talking about anyway. But the first thing is just communicating with the airmen, right? Because if you're having a conversation with your senior airman who's gearing up to test for staff sergeant for the first time, just a human to human conversation, you're going to get a sense of how important that is and what goes into it and what it means for them to go home from their long day and dig into studying for that. Or your brand new airman, right? It's okay. They're trying to learn their day job, but they've also got all the things that require them to get you know, their skill level upgrade. So just talking about that 
one-to-one will both enhance the relationship that you have with them and the understanding that you have demonstrating to them, you know, okay, recognizing that it's important that it, you know, what, what goes into it. And there's, you know, varying degrees of, of what that will take for various folks. Like, you know, some people have different approaches to how they prepare and study for that than others. And so I think, again, so communicating is one. And the other is there are things that you will have brought based on your prior experiences that a prior enlisted don't have. If you were, you know, enlisted at 17, 18, and then don't have experience working on the outside, there's things that you can bring to light that someone who hasn't done that doesn't have. And I think you should lean into those. The process of being selected for an embassy accounts for that, right? When you're sitting in an interview as a you know non-prior enlisted, they're looking for those things that you can bring because that's why we have Ewees and why we have why we send people to Apple and all these other places, Lehigh Valley and Johns Hopkins, because there are broader perspectives that can be brought to bear. And so don't shy away from that. Just because it's not the exact parallel experience doesn't mean it won't bring value to the airman. And I don't mean to overly focus on the junior list. I'm just using that as a as an example. And you're doing versions of the same thing in parallel, right? You're going to go to squadron officer school. You're doing the same thing. You're going to PME to broaden your professional expertise and your understanding of the broader mission, just as they are when they go to ALS and, and NCO Academy. And so I think those are the things I would share if you're coming at it from a perspective that's just not prior enlisted. No, thank you, sir. That was that was uh, definitely insightful, and it is something that uh, I've thought about once in a while. It's like, yeah, I, I I do have a little bit of a different experience, and hopefully that will uh, broaden their mind and their opportunities if I can if I can share. But yeah, I, I agreed. Uh, I know during my first uh, couple of years, I, I was in listening mode just about the entire time, uh, trying to learn everything I could. And then if anybody had like, hey, what was your experience? I I definitely chimed in as best I could and spoke as knowledgeably as I could for my experience. So thank you for that. I, I like that you said that listening mode. If for me, one of the things I'm I'm constantly trying to do is turn my listening mode dial up and my talking mode down. Even you know, even while we're on here, where I know I'm you know brought on to talk, I'd still prefer to be hearing and and soaking in all that. And I I love that you shared that. That's the way you approach that early on because it's great. There's there's not a lot of badness that can come along if you're really in listening mode and then the very deliberate about the things that you that you communicate because I know then that your communication is coming from a place of taking the information, assimilating it and and, and processing it and putting forth what you think is whatever it is, the best course of action or some perspective based on your comprehensive experiences or whatever it might be. So, sir, while we were talking earlier, you had mentioned some discussions that you recently had with some other MSCs in, in a mentoring session. Do you care to share some of the topics that you discussed there with uh, some of those MSCs in terms of mentoring and, and career? Yes, that's good. So I'll shout out one of my former flight commanders from Nellis, uh, Joe Donahue, who's now the SGA at Edwards. And I was I was pleased to get the invite. We did a virtual mentoring session with the MSCs at Edwards, and they had a handful of questions. And so I thought those would at least provide some interesting discussion points for today. You know, first, we've kind of touched on, right, just the experience and the path to Colonel. And like I said, I'm firm believer that there's no one path. We have some touch points and some waypoints that the core 
sets out and obviously some you know some some requirements especially as you you know progress in terms of um, certifications and higher level degrees and things like that but beyond that there are a lot of ways to get to the upper part of the the pyramid and so i, I definitely want to share that and that was something that they asked about and i know that it, this has been said a lot but i will reiterate it because i have the chance to do so the key is doing the best you can whatever it is you were assigned to do, wherever it is you're assigned to do it. I mentioned, you know, my laundry list of jobs, I was, a, I was readiness at Tyndall. And I am not built to be a planner. I can tell you that. But bet your tail that when it came down that I had to write the point of dispensing plan for Tyndall and the surrounding area, I was all in on doing that. And that so that's just the way I've approached everything. And that's how I stress to, to our folks is that this might not be the thing that you want to do forever, but while you're doing it, do it the best you can. And then in whatever opportunity you have, regardless of your duty title, lead, right? That is what we need. But no matter what label you have on your job, your role, your function, how you are leading is the most critical aspect that I think what we bring to the table as officers and medical service corps. What I look for in the MSCs that you lead. And I thought that was that was a great question. And so I think, you know, I, I, a lot of it's informed by my squadron command time. So I'll kind of look at it through that lens, but it, it can apply in a lot of contexts. And I'm looking really, I want my leaders to care about their people. And I'm on board with this mindset that it's the people who do the mission, regardless of what the mission is. And so if we're taking care of the people, the rest sort of falls into place. And so if I, as your leader, you know, if you're accountable to me, and I feel like that is not a priority for you, then it's certainly something that I would sit down with you and talk about. I touched on this, but I want folks to be uh, be a communicator, right? Communicating my intent, your intent. I really appreciate when we have folks that are willing to tell the emperor when they aren't wearing clothes, right? Whether it's me, whether it's your peers or the stakeholders that you're supporting, right? If you're in RMO working with other commanders, I want you to, you know, be able to share that as as well. And so it's an important skill. And we can't overstate that communication. And then when I think I didn't think about when I was junior, so I try to share this in as much context now for our junior folks to think about. And that's framing things through a risk lens, right? As I've grown more senior in my leadership, that's become a more important element of how we approach things. So assume as much risk as you're able to. And then recognize when that risk assumption is mine as the commanders or our group commanders or further when it's their risk to assume, right? So I want to give you as much white space as possible to work within the bounds of the the risk that I can give you to assume. But then if it's something that only I, you know, if it's a G series thing or some other aspect of, of our effort that that it's my risk to assume, don't assume it on my behalf. And we certainly aren't going to assume it on behalf of the group commander. And that does, you know, that hasn't changed now that I'm at headquarters, because if it's, you know, if it's my director, if it's Miss Julian's or Dr. Lyons' risk to assume, whether it's legislative reasons or whatever, you know, I have to stop there and then just communicate, as I mentioned, communicate according to her intent. Here are the courses of action that we, you know, are best suited to what we're trying to get after, and then let her or him make the make the risk-based decision. So I don't think that's a lens I put on things as much as I probably could have when I was more junior. And so I like to share that as I 
I'm talking with our, our folks that are growing into those senior leader roles. And then be open to getting feedback, even if you have to ask for that, right? Getting it from me, getting it from your peers, just be open to that. And then giving it, which can be uncomfortable, right? One of the, it's been a while since I read this, but crucial conversations, right? Those, those, those conversations that you know aren't going to be fun to have, but you still have to have them anyway. You know, I'm big on the 360 feedback. If you're giving me feedback, because I'm going to ask for it. If you're in for the initial or midterm with me, because you're, you know, you're my, one of my flight commanders or whatever, or a squadron commander maybe next year, I want to know the same thing. Not just, I'm not going to, sh- I'm going to share with you what, what I see as opportunities and, and what you're doing great. But also I want to create an environment where you can also share, Hey, I feel like I'm being micromanaged. I know you wouldn't say it that way, but you get the point. It's like, I would like more opportunity to do this or do that. Open to getting and giving feedback are, are, are huge things that I think create an environment that is where we're all going to be more engaged and, and better at what we're doing. Thanks for that. That is that was really, really great. And you actually touched on a question that I had loaded up for you. Um, I was hoping it was going to be one of those heavy hitting questions that uh, mm-hmm. that Greg referred to earlier. But first, I want to say, I, I love hearing the shout out to Joe Donahue. He's a fellow IMIT-er, so um, always take the opportunity to highlight the uh, the systems folks and and the awesome things IMIT is is contributing to the to the core. But I want to go back to something that you you had said previously, and I think this is a term that we hear a lot. Sometimes I think the term maybe brings frustration to a lot of people or maybe some eye rolls, but it's that just the general statement, right? Bloom where you're planted. You hear a lot of people saying that. But I don't know that a lot of people maybe know exactly what that means or what is being said when when that is communicated. And I think you did a great job highlighting that. And what I was going to ask you in terms of blooming where you're planted and where you said, like, you're not a readiness planner and you're not geared for that, but you had to adapt to overcome. I was going to ask you, you know, what soft skills do you value the most to help you do things like bloom where you're planted? And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd like to summarize some of the things like that you said are empathy. Uh, communication, the ability to understand risk and the risk landscape, uh, which includes, right, obviously knowing where we can and cannot accept risk, and then just being open in, to give and receive feedback. Yes. you. I think that was a great summary. And that was a part of why I used the readiness example, because I think everyone has things that they're in their wheelhouse that they're best fit to do, right? If it's IMIT or whatever it may be. So I use the readiness for just that example. It, it, if you gave me a laundry list of things to do and one of them was planning, you know, or writing a plan, whether it's an O plan or a pod plan or a COVID or a coop or whatever, it would be at the bottom of my list. But I, I, I'm glad you were able to draw out because those are certainly things. And there were a few other traits because that actually was one of the other questions that the team at Edwards asked that led to that. And so it's a good segue. It was like a couple other qualities and traits of to help facilitate that. And whether it's your junior or senior MSCs, that was the, the qualifier, but it doesn't have to be that. But certainly emotional intelligence. And so, I mean, empathy can be an aspect of that, but just in general, right? Being able to sense the needs and the and the, and the priorities of both yourself and those around you. And so um, obviously there's, there's lots of literature and, and I wish I had a, a good one in the holster for that, but, uh, but certainly that's a trait that lends itself to that and, and self-awareness. And this is one I would say over the last years that I've been watching in some of my peers and mentors and just really marveling at that, how self-aware they are, but not just that they recognize 
you know, things about how they operate, but how they adapt to it. Sort of a classic introvert, you know, and, and I know they're a classic introvert, but the but them ta- taking deliberate actions to put themselves out in a, a meaningful and, and vulnerable way, right? Or a senior leader that recognizing that the right play for them and one of the few opportunities where they get to sort of handpick their, you know, nucleus of their team, bringing in someone that was their opposite rather than someone that was just like them, right? And so that's something that, that to me, I've really been focused on lately is, is watching people and how they are self-aware, but not only as as just oh yeah I'm I'm this but what do you do about it what do you do to still try to excel in knowing that that I don't want to say weakness but knowing that there are these these things that you're stronger elements of how you operate and things that maybe you you have as opportunities so um, I'm glad you could see those or hear those in in what I was saying and so I was able to add on a couple other things of emotional intelligence self awareness and, and adapting to your self awareness the risk comment that you made is something that I really picked up at the point in my career when I went to staff. You know, I was at I was at Ascent headquarters, so definitely on the readiness planning side and from the leadership, you know, the A directorates and, you know, the the commander and his team, everything is framed in terms of risk. You know, because there's no, there are no good choices. You never have enough resources, you never have enough people, you can never plan your way out of risk to forces, risk to the mission, so on and so forth. And so that was something that had to be addressed in every decision that was being made. And then bringing that back to the MTF, where I'm at now, talking about those things and, and you know, with, with some of the folks that I'm having conversations with at Langley, it's a novel concept to them putting problems in those terms. But I think the leadership really appreciates pulling that out for them in the decision making process say like hey here are the here are the risks associated with doing a b or c as opposed to just focusing on outcomes this is the gamble that we're taking whether it be right. to you know a legal risk or uh you know in doing a certain thing or 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 risk to the mission well and in in healthcare some of those are so clearly spelled out that it's certainly if you're starting to think about that at a junior level, you're getting ahead of the game because let's say you're in logistics and talking about contracting, like you said, it's legal. So it's really black and white. And then, you know, if you're, if you're in GPM, if you're framing that with the SGH in terms of patient safety risk, boom, you're going to, that's automatically, you're getting a boost in whatever it is you're trying to posture for there because that is at the source of what they're doing. So I've been really surprised. And so that's why I really use these forums now to bring that up. And it even came up here. So I didn't share this, but the last two months I've been detailed out of headquarters and helping stand up one of the new defense health networks. And in the context of that, I had to talk with a lot of different people that were poised to be in senior healthcare leadership roles. And framed a risk-based question, and it was like a stumper. And so it was, it was caught me off guard. And so it's reinforced that I think I want to, you know, make sure that we're, we're sharing that as much as possible, that that is a lens that's really important for us to be viewing and communicating our efforts, especially when we're talking, you know, to our leaders, uh, so that their, their decision matrix can include that. So let's switch topics just a little bit one of our fellow msc officers is out there gloria walski she has a a blog 
uh, that's out there. And one of the articles that she wrote recently was her reflections on having completed two tours as a squadron commander. And so you you were a squadron commander out at Spangdalem and then as well at Nellis. And right. my question for you is going to your second squadron, how did your mindset change or adapt going into the second tour versus what you were thinking about or what you were concerned about or what kept you up at night during your first tour? That is a great question. And so this goes back to what I shared before. Is like Every time you think you might be ready, you're not. And if you think you're ready, that's probably a red flag. You should be a little nervous about what's coming next. And so I was, but I'll qualify this with, it was also, I took command at Nellis in June of 2020. So not only was I shifting into high gear at a place where we had, you know, I went from saying I was a 90, 90 plus to Nellis, which, you know, three over 300, but then it was literally right at the start of COVID. And so it's hard to frame anything consistently around that as Vegas at a hospital that's trying to stand up a trauma center during a global pandemic. Here's what, here's what I was thinking about at Spangdalem. Most of the flight commanders were captains, maybe junior majors. I had, you know, a couple that were going to get promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. And then Nellis, it was Lieutenant Colonels or senior majors mostly within that were you know not that far behind me and so more experience and the scope of everything had to change right so it's two main aspects is one you're leading leaders but there's you're leading junior leaders in the first squadron but in the second one it's more experienced leaders so you're leading a different set and there's different approaches and different priorities and and things like that and so it took it, you know, it took some adjustment, and I, you know, I, I wanted to make sure, and I and I did that going back to what I shared earlier, is getting in there early and having those initial feedbacks and trying to gauge in those conversations. Okay, what do I need to work on so that I'm a good leader for these more experienced majors and lieutenant colonels, and what do they need for me that's different than what the captains and stuff needed at Spangdom, and then scoping it, you know the. The processes that worked when you have three folks getting promoted to staff sergeant aren't necessarily built the same for when it's 23 people getting promoted. So whether it was how you do the EFDP or, you know, how you run your processes for just reviewing basic admin stuff, those things had to change and adapt for the operations at a bigger squadron. And then I, I, I go back to, I think that was certainly and you throw the COVID piece in, the, that was a big eye-opener in terms of the the risk stuff and the transparency and being able to prioritize and communicate that prioritization because for, certainly COVID was the end-all be-all of priorities, but you still had the other mission things that had to happen. And so the ebb and flow of what was the next most important thing or how the next most important thing was weighing on the overall you know, COVID aspects or trauma or the hundred million dollar construction that was another thing that changed significantly in the in the jump from a small squadron to a large squadron and i you know can't pass up a chance to say squadron command is, is the best the best i haven't been the group yet but if i could have done a third a fourth squadron i would do it anybody if you're listening out there squadron command is awesome if you get a chance to do it do it it is the best 
So I wanted to ask one question in relation to squadron command. I could probably ask a ton of questions and I think we could probably have a whole nother episode just on squadron command. But I think the one thing that I would probably want to hear about and that I see is the the work-life balance. So how, how did you find work-life balance? Because I don't think it's any secret that the position is extremely demanding. The hours are probably very long um, and there's a lot of obligations and uh, requirements for, for tugging at your time. Oh, that's a good question. Again, all this has the qualifier of it was 2020 to 2022. And so I think that was skewed by that, but I still would, I would still would argue that me and my fellow squadron commanders did a solid job, but it also helps me touch on something that I, for whatever reason, didn't leading at any level, but especially as a squadron commander, I would say is a team sport. If you are going to try to do everything by yourself, you're not going to have a good day or a good week or a good month or a good two years. And this is why, and I was, we were talking before Chris Walthall and soon to be chief Russ pool, right? These are key folks within the squadron. And then at Nellis, it was chief GE and chief Rick Minton and my first sergeant, Brandon Kate and Eileen Tomas, right? My core leadership team. I, when I got to DHHQ, I don't know how I ever did anything by myself. I was for four years, had, you know, a admin person and first sergeant and senior enlisted. And I was like, how did I function? How did I even get to get to meetings on time? But you have to, one, believe that it's a team sport and, and utilize the team. If you're not using everybody to the utmost of their capabilities, then you're going to end up doing it. And so if you're someone who feels like they got to do it themselves, then yeah, that's going to really hinder your ability to have that work-life balance. And then again, I'm not by myself as a squadron commander, there are other squadron commanders. And so utilizing that team, it's a team of teams, you're part of a team. And then I know you've heard this before, but if you are sitting there at 7 PM at night as a squadron commander, that's the behavior you're modeling for your flight commanders and your enlisted folks and whatever. And there are going to be people who want to, if you leave at seven, they're going to want to leave at seven Oh one because you modeled that behavior. And so don't, and there's so many of the things that you're doing at seven that are going to be there at seven in the morning. And that time that you go home and have dinner with the wife and the kids, that's not going to hinder your ability to do that thing at 7 a.m. So it's, I think that whether you need self-talk or, you know, just to hear it from somebody to give yourself grace, which is something that we'll touch on. I want to touch before we leave. You got to give yourself grace. No, that stuff's going to be there in the morning. When even as a squadron commander, there's only a handful of things that are like, got to do this right now or else. And it will be very clear what those are. And then other things you can manage and manipulate and, you know, move around. And some of those things better be spending time with your family and getting to your, you know, kid soccer game. And again, also, so you can show your folks that that is something that needs to be prioritized as well. Yeah, there must be time to do it all when you have deputy flight commanders too, right? Huh? Chris, Greg, geez, must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. Are we go? Are we going there? We're gonna go. There? <laughs> We're always gonna go there. there. We're always <laughs> gonna go. There. Deputy right. flight commanders. Oh gosh, and I'm over here with three hats. It's fine. Anyway, no, sir. Thanks, thanks for sharing all that. And uh, I will say that is a mistake I've made probably in the past where I, I kind of felt like I had to stay late, you know, and 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 get the job done, whatever it took. And I guess that was easier when I was uh, single. 
and uh, didn't have anything, any family to go back to or any other commitments I really had to do. But now that I have a married with a 10 month old, the priorities definitely have shifted. And I've learned that same uh, mantra of like, hey, the work's going to be there in the morning. It's not like I'm going to get something done tonight and I'm going to have free time in the morning. Like there's going to be other things. So as long as there's not a hard suspense or deadline, I can I can wait because there's other uh, other priorities in my life that I, I know I need to get to. And speaking on those lines, so the question I have is, you know, in your career, have you seen either common or uncommon uh, some mistakes that young MSCs have made that maybe you can expand on and say, hey, try to avoid this, try to avoid that, don't get sucked into this wormhole or something like that. I know you kind of explained the whole, you know, like you don't have to work late, that kind of stuff and setting that example. But are there other mistakes you've seen that maybe some other young MSCs or even experienced ones can try to avoid, do better and and be better uh, officers? So it won't veer too far away from what you've already heard, because like I said, I think, again, I want you to try to empower folks. And you're joking about the deputy flight. But deputy squadron, deputy anything, if you can't leave for two to five days because everything will fall apart, then you, then something's missing. You're not doing a good job leading. And so I'll speak for myself, and I think I can speak for at least significant amount of years. I've never thought, like, wow, that, that's so awesome that they are willing to stay till 8 o'clock every night. That's never been a factor because, one, it could mean they're, they're doing it all by themselves and not – offering others within their team the opportunity to do that, not empowering, not delegating, not enabling the capacity of others. So that would be a red flag as much as anything else, potentially. Now, I'm not talking about, hey, they wouldn't stay late when we knew we had to set up a mobility line because we were, you know, someone was deploying. That's a different thing. Again, you'll know the things that are must-dos and that require a, you know, a surge effort. And then the people thing, which I've already talked about, right? And so they all kind of tie in together, but it, it's really about you're accountable to me as the leader, whoever I'm accountable to, but also to the folks that count on you to provide the intent and set the priorities and things like that. And so I think it, the mistakes come in the execution of that because I, I don't anticipate or expect the MSCs make the big mistake. It's more nuanced than that. And it's around those things, right? Those core things, the taking care of people, empowering and enabling the capacities that they have. So did that answer your question? Yes, sir. That, that did. Thank you so much. I would add, I guess I, I guess I have one other one. And I can't say this is a mistake because everybody's journey is different and everybody's priorities are different. But I'll say this, com- compete when you can. If you have the windows of opportunity, Try to try to take advantage of those when they're when they're there. If you don't, because that's not your journey, because you have other priorities that take precedence at that time. As long as I communicate that to you, right? As long as I say, here we go, we're back to the risk conversation. But if I say, hey, if you miss this window of opportunity to compete for this, here are the potential changes that that might create in in paths forward that you would have accessible to you, right? Like. It, there's still a lot of great paths that follow that, but there's some that maybe aren't as accessible for various reasons. And so as long as I'm communicating the potential alternate paths, don't miss opportunities, right? Don't. I never thought I was going to be a colonel. I never had an ambition to be a colonel, but I never did anything that would deliberately take away my opportunity to be a colonel. And if you are making that decision, 
but you're doing it with eyes wide open, that's not a mistake. As long as we, as a collective of your mentors and coaches and peers and everybody have shared, you know, what that means, I, I think it it's okay. I like the perspective that you just shared, right? Which I think sometimes what gets talked about more often is the expected, you know, kind of up or out. Anyone who's committed, who isn't committed to anything less than 06 or core chief or whatever is somehow disloyal or not committed to the Air Force, you know, and I, I hate that mindset when it when it does pop up. But it was good to hear you share that people, you know, have their own journey that they're making. And as long as they're making informed choices, knowing that, okay, if I don't complete my PME, I'm not going to get promoted. And if I'm okay with that and knowing like where those paths lead, then that's my decision. And doesn't mean that I can't be a good officer, a good leader, a good mentor today and for the, you know, the next several years or however long that, you know, we're together, but writing somebody off just because they don't want to go to Air War College in residence is, you know, I think a kind of a short-sighted or a limited scope view of life. And so it's good to hear that perspective. So I'll add two things. One is, and I'm very sensitive not to speak on behalf of the core, but Steve Fox's perspective, the core at large is more and more understanding of that. I mean, I've, you know, see, so I actually have a, a friend, she's going to be a group commander and her husband's going to be an MSG commander. So the Air Force was able to find a way to put two O6s in the same place. And I know these things happen. There's more and more corporate understanding that these are, you know, human beings with priorities that may not be, I'll go wherever, whenever. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that there's never any differing perspective from that. But at my perspective is that where there are opportunities, the core and the enterprise is trying their best to make all things work, even if it doesn't, again, sort of follow this one defined path that that what you've described as people say, it's, it's this way or the highway. Agree. Agree. Okay, so our our time is starting to come to a close already. If you can believe it, it's flown by. That, um, that's a bummer. Here, but, so I have uh, so I have one. They asked for the Everest team asked like the best lesson you learn as leader in the core. Here's one that took me way too long, uh, and that is be yourself. I don't know why it, it took me till forty nine. Apparently, there's a name for this it's called imposter syndrome. I apparently had imposter syndrome, right? Because I kept coming into the assignments where I was following these just like rock stars of the medical service corps. And it was, it, I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? I, and especially when I started squadron command, I had felt like I was trying to be too much like these people that I had seen doing things this way. You know, I admired them, but that didn't mean I had to mirror their efforts. And it, I think I became a lot more successful at what I was doing when I found the best way to do it. That was uniquely mine. And that is a lesson that I learned far too late in my career. And that kind of, I think, ties into all the things that I've shared is that, you know, however you're doing it, however you're blooming where you're planted, it doesn't have to be like anyone else. It can be uniquely yours and that's going to be okay. And I will now label this as I've seen this a lot more with our MSC brothers and sisters. This started when I was, you know, senior GPM and was getting newer GPMs. We want to learn everything right away. 
we want to know it like within two weeks. And when we don't, it's very frustrating. We have to give ourselves grace, right? And believe me when I tell you, I've been giving my own self this advice when I got to Defense Health Headquarters because I felt the same way. And then I, in my mind, was telling myself the same thing. Hey, you can't learn the whole defense health agency structure, processes, organization in two weeks. And so I will offer that to our high-speed, often type A, but not always, MSCs. Give yourself some grace. So that was one I had to get in. That was on my my must-shares. All right. So one question we'd like to ask all of our guests is coming to you now is, uh, what are you reading? Or what recommendation do you have for the listeners out there? Sure. So most of my reading, air quotes, is, is audiobooks. And the one that's playing right now is recommended by uh, Colonel Z. Hall. And it's the master coach model. I'm too soon into it to offer much insight into it. But that's what I'm that's what I've just started. When you go backwards for the last handful of things, it's a pretty weird mix because I read a book about breathing or listen to a book about breathing. The Fred Factor, Never Split the Difference. Those are the last few. If you read the Fred Factor, you'll probably hear a lot of the the a lot of the concepts I've talked about. And then other things that probably aren't relevant because I've, I've recently developed an enthusiasm for uh, real estate investing. So a lot of podcasts and books that have to do with that, which aren't helpful for uh, MSC development. <laughs> well, it's good, though, to bring in insights from other fields, though. I think there's a lot of things that can be learned from getting outside of your lane and, yeah, and the, learning about a different community. The Never Split the Difference, though, obviously, is it's essentially a negotiating book. And even at War College, we had a class, you know, we had seminars on negotiating. So you're 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 spot on that you will find nuggets in any of those that have some benefit to our profession of arms and dual profession of, of healthcare. That really, I mean, that really did go fast. I'm surprised. Yeah, I'd just like to say thanks for coming on. Really just a fantastic conversation. We really appreciate you taking the time to come here and share your experience and your insights with us. I really took a lot away from this conversation and just wish you all the best uh, in your group command that's coming up. And hopefully maybe we can have you on again sometime and maybe we can talk experience as group commander at some point. Yeah, thanks again. Yeah, same here, sir. Thank you so much. Uh I'll be honest, some of these questions just kind of spawned in my head as we were talking. I uh, I know Greg and Chris had some prepared questions, and I was like, I think I kind of wanted to, going back to the whole listening mode, I wanted to hear what you had to say and then try to kind of get some more detailed question based on things you said. And I, uh, I've definitely taken a lot from this. And even if it's stuff I've heard before, it's it's honestly a good reminder because I, I forget these things sometimes. And it's a nice refresher to hear these things kind of kind of. I don't want to go as far to say it re-blues me, but it kind of reinvigorates a little bit to go, oh yeah, this is the stuff I need to focus on to kind of get back on track if I if I think I've gotten off track. So I appreciate your uh, your words of wisdom. I, I like that you said that too. It, you, it's funny, you'll never it'll catch you off guard those things that will re-blue you or or re-energize you because they happen all the time. And 95 out of 100 times, it is around something you know, people oriented. Sometimes, you know, every once in a blue moon, it's it's operational, but certainly it's most often about finding out that something I did benefited somebody in a meaningful way. And so 
I'll, I'll, you know, I'll offer. I, I'd love to come back on. I had a great time. I really am grateful for the chance to talk with with you guys. And hopefully, there are folks out there that find some value in what I've shared. My favorite part of my role at DHA is as the functional. I love, you know, when folks just, you know, come in, chat with me, and I'm not opposed to getting that same engagement from anywhere across the field. Reach out, find me on the global. If you have questions or or anything, they want more insight on anything I shared today. I'm definitely open to other engagement from anybody that hears this and wants to wants to talk more. But yeah, thank you guys so much. Like I said, great for the opportunity and uh, look forward to seeing you out and about. I don't know, you know, so I don't need excuses to go see our MSCs or to go to San Antonio or Langley or I don't know if I go to Oklahoma, but <laughs> that's all right. I want to yeah. leave you with one uh, final book recommendation for you as you go off to group command. And it's also the next book that we're going to talk about as a podcast, which is Orbiting the Giant Hairball, A Corporate Fool's Guide to Surviving with Grace. And it's by Gordon McKenzie. He uh, worked at Hallmark for 30 years. And it's uh, about cutting out the bureaucracy that just develops organically in, a, in an organization and, and getting to what truly matters. So we're excited to, to talk about it on our next episode. And Colonel Fox is our recommendation. Uh, our book recommendation to leave you with is uh, give that one a listen. Although I don't think it's in audiobook. Manoj said he couldn't find it on audiobook. So you might have to actually buy a oh paper my. copy if you want to. Oh read my that goodness. <laughs> that's a that's a big ask. But or I'm you know, I'm sure there's a lot of copies of Orbiting the Giant Hairball at my local bookstore, wherever that may be. <laughs> possibly so but th- thanks a lot for for coming on and uh we'll look forward to the next time we can connect awesome how are we doing thanks guys from all of us here to all of you out there have a good night c41a is an independent company and produced by c41a media digital media support and creative director manoj rima marketing and it christopher foot and director and outreach greg taylor